Well, greetings and welcome to Fresh Texts. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm Todd, the editor here at Fresh Text, and this week, John's guest is Pastor Steve Deneff. Steve is a longtime pastor of College Wesleyan Church here in Marion, Indiana, and in addition to being a gifted preacher and teacher of the Word, Steve is also a prolific author with a number of excellent books on preaching and the Christian life, including Soul's Shift, which is briefly referenced in this episode. This week's text is 1 John 3, verses 1 through 7. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show along so that others may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show as well and receive some additional bonus content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Steve Deneff. Let's read it and get the text in front of us. I've got down First John chapter three verses one through seven. Would you be willing to read from whatever translation you brought today? I do. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard version. I use this along with the NLT in the mornings when I'm alone. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children even now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word, the word of life. It was made flesh in your son, Jesus and the word of life that is his gospel that has been handed on through the ages and which continues to have the power to make things right. And we give you thanks for this particular apostolic word, this particular epistle. And we ask that the word that was born and carried then, that we would be equipped by your spirit now to to bear that word as well 
that we would all be made word bearers by your word today. Uh, Steve and I, but all those listening in, uh, whatever the size and shape of their flock that's entrusted to them, that we would carry the word, bear it for the sake of ourselves and those around us. I ask, Lord, that you would uh, help us to, to know and see and perceive these verbs seem to start out the passage, that we would know and see and perceive what you desire us to, to know, see, and perceive, and what we do not yet know, that you'd give us uh, the patience and wisdom to live within our limits. So reveal what needs to be revealed and conceal what needs to be concealed. Mm. And we ask that you would do this by the power of your Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, so what captures your eye here? What are some initial observations as you approach this familiar text afresh? While you were praying, John, I was thinking that so much of our development as a Christian rises from the knowledge of who we are. Hmm. It is for want of knowing who we are that we act like somebody else. And the person we act like is always less, not just other, than the person that we are. Hmm. So until we know who we are, we're chasing someone else's expectations, uh, someone else's standards, maybe their personality, their success, their office, their following. And all of that is trying to not just discover, but affirm who we are, which is what makes this passage so powerful for me. Again, I've not looked at this prior to, to you and I talking now, but when I read it, that's the first thing I see. Yeah, how much is at stake in just what it is we know? Is knowledge enough? No, right? Knowledge must that's be right. enacted, but... I think in sometimes our rhetoric, especially in our tradition, that emphasizes matters of heart and action. Yes. Uh, heart and hands, as it were. Mm. And we have these little tropes about, well, you can't just be in your head, or you can't just have head knowledge. We can make the mistake of then thinking, not head knowledge, but this other thing. And it's like, no, no, there is something that we need to know. Yes. <laughs> it's not yes. enough, right. but just because it's not enough doesn't mean it's nothing. And it is the starting point. In this passage, it's the... It's the jumping off point. Of course, he gets pretty quickly to action, how we live, how we love. But the starting point is not God's going to be really mad. It's not based on a threat or it's not based on a you are of the world and now you need to avoid sin so as to become a child of God. It's no, you already are. So how to live in light now of who you like Yeah. It. So the order matters, I think, in terms yeah. of the flow of thought here. Yeah, I, yeah, I noticed that too. He doesn't start with an abstinence from sin, because the problem with sin is not that it's a transgression of the law. The problem with sin is it's a transgression of one's identity. Mm, nice, nice, nice. One's identity is rooted in Christ. Christ has made you what you are. Now act as a son or a daughter of Christ. I like that, because even when it says, you know... Sin is lawlessness, as he says, yeah. but even anomia, mm. you know, lawlessness or ah nomos, 
Yeah. The language of law there is not just the generic sense of law, as you would put it, like the transgression of a law, right? Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's the transgression of the Torah, which is first and foremost yes. promise and election, and secondarily commandment and instruction. And, you know? <laughs> but the yes. first thing, you know, uh, Exodus 12 comes after, uh, excuse me, 20, 10 That's commandments right. comes right. after Exodus 19, which is, I am your God and you are my people. Like, yes, yes. you are my people. Yeah. So the identity is the starting point, even in the quote law, the old, in the sense of Old Testament or Torah, that, that even the Torah, to contradict the Torah is first and foremost to be faithless to who we are, which manifests in actions, but the actions are not the, the sole mm. content of lawlessness. You've heard me say this before in church. I think what's happening in the Exodus passage is it's a marriage. Yeah. Exodus 19 is the betrothal. They go through a three-day purification process. Then you are to go up on that mountain where I will come down. That's like an aisle. Yeah, And we will unite each other in marriage, in a covenant of all the earth, I have chosen you. Remember that? Exodus 19, 5 and 6. So it's like I've looked over the earth. I found the people I want. They are to me a bride. Mm -hmm. And now I will unite with them on that mountain. What follows in chapter 20 then in the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue is actually the terms of that union. You will not steal because I provide all things. You will keep your vows because I keep mine. You will not kill because I give life. You, you see it? Yeah. So that entire episode, the basis of the law, is has nothing to has very little to do with with lines or litigation. It's a descriptor of God's own character. Yeah. So the breaking of the law is a deviance from the character of the Father to whom we belong. That's why you keep the law. Luther said to keep the law is to keep the law even if there was no law to yeah, keep. Yeah, to really keep it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's the spirit, not the letter, as it were. Yes. Yeah. Or in Johannine terms, God is light. In him there, there is no light at all. There it is. Therefore, we must walk in the light, right? The, the logic matches. There it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then later in chapter 4, it'll be God is love. Therefore, we must love one another. Same kind of thing. So the character description of God, description of the union of God with us, abiding, to use Johannine terminology. Yes. yes. And then the terms of that, you know, which is it's um, loving your brother, right? Loving yeah. Your, yeah. You're a good theologian. You would, you'd enjoy this. It's possible for someone to read First John 3 and take it into theosis if they want to. Now are you the children of God. <laughs> now are you what Christ also is, the Son of God, the daughter of God. And yet, there's this in-between yeah. period. This is who you are, and, and it's not yet clear what you will become. So, it's, I, I think, I hear him saying, what you will become has already been inseminated in who you are. But you don't know that yet. And you need to remember that. You are already in, how to put it, in almost embryonic form. What you will become in the age to come. 
you will not change species. You are the <laughs> child of God. I like you that. will be the yeah. child of God. But today you are an infant, and then you will be a full-grown adult. Yeah. Am I reading that right? No, I think that I think that works. You're right, because, of course, you know, not to press John's language more precise than it is, although he, he does consistently use huias, son, for Jesus, and technon or technion, children or little children, for us. It's a different word. Mm. And, and that's interesting. because So, like, Paul is not as, in many ways, Paul is more precise than John. Sometimes he's not. In this case, Paul's a little looser. He speaks of us as techna, but also as sons, right? Having sonship, right? You are sons of God. Whereas John's very careful to almost, I don't think there's a single instance in the Johannine Corpus where we are referred to as son which is interesting interesting. and that's not to downplay our childship it's to make the point you're trying to make it's to make the distinction between christ and us but son is the term you would still use for an adult that's why i'm this is my little riff on your point i see sound like i was correcting you i'm not maybe i will later Uh, (laughs) like it's that there is a distinction but the distinction like you said is not one of species yeah it's not one of kind Uh, it's one of a degree and one of time, you know, Beautiful. like you said, of maturity. Beautiful. Beautiful. So Christ, we do not speak, John does not speak of Christ as the, the technon of God, the child of God, but son yes. of God, but consistently speaks of us as children, often in the plural, almost always in the plural, which seems to, again, you, you might still call adults by technon as a term of endearment. But I mean, you know, you think of a of a dad proud of their son, an yeah. adult son. Yeah. You probably wouldn't said, "Oh, yeah. my child." That would actually yeah. be a little insulting. Ah, yeah. oh, my son! Yeah. Look at what yeah. my son is doing. Yeah. Right? You're saying now you're a full adult. So and I like this idea same. of we're still children yeah. now, yeah. but when we grow fully, we will be like him because we will see him as he truly is. So, There's the seeing again. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So. Uh, as an aside, you know, back to the original point where uh, I think we started uh, by saying part of this whole journey, I think, for Christians, at least for me, is a growth in knowing hmm. what it is to know. Early on, you were saying, yeah, I mean, it, we've got this sometimes this too intellectual or an anti-intellectual bent in our traditions but clearly, there is room in our, our growth process for hearing first that we are the children of God, and mm-hmm. then later understanding that, which is the role that I think education and mentors and reading disciplines instill in us. And then sometimes the understanding is then followed by a comprehension. It's this moment when it suddenly dawns on you, wait a minute, what if that's true? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) What if that's actually true? What if Jesus meant what he said? No, you know? And when that moment of comprehension, I think, dawns on us, that is very close to a conversion moment for us. And then we were talking a moment ago about how the reason for not sinning is because it's inconsistent with who we are. Yeah. But what you were just saying adds to that by saying, but it's also inconsistent with who we shall be. Mm -hmm. 
which then that gap introduces why John is not totally contradicting himself between here where he says, if you're in Christ, you don't sin. Right. But opening chapter was if you boast that you, have, you no have no sin, sin. You know, you're a liar. Right. That's right. So there's a ta- it start the starting point is all very much confession yep. and and honesty about the sinfulness that not only has but still threatens us. Yep. And that brings us I mean, you know, I think in John because remember John what? 1 10, right? If, if, yeah. or John 1 8. Uh is it 8 or 10? I haven't looked. He who says he has no sin, uh, mm-hmm. he is a liar. But in verse 9 he also says he will confess we we confess our sins, he cleanses us from all Bingo. sin. I read John there. I could be wrong. I read John as saying the innocence is on the other side of confession. It it one has to go through the That's process right. of self-recognizing the faultiness in their own character and at the same time realize that we are never immune from that. Right. Even in the holiness tradition. Yeah. That our innocence always lies on the other side of our transparency. And that's what the light is. When he says God is light in him, no darkness at all, there's the double meaning of both light in the sense of an absence of darkness, sin, yes. but also light as in when there is sin, bring you it into the light. See it, yes. That's right. Yes. I mean, that's all throughout the Gospel of John where he says, I mean, it's a few verses right after famous John 3.16 is, this is the judgment that has come into the world. The light has come and people prefer darkness over the light because when you, your sins are evil, you prefer to keep your... So like light is has this double sense of mm. both a pure light that God is, a derivative pure light that we will be, yeah, and then an impure light that we are now that we're always bringing back into the light, confessing yeah. and then... There's purification precisely through confession. So then, but as he says, even in that passage back there, I write these things so that you do not sin. So that the goal is to not just wallow in our sin and be and be yeah. content with that. Yeah. But it fits even the the verbs here. I mean, not the verbs. The the little two little terms in chapter three, verse two. It says, "Beloved, now children of God we are, and or but not yet has it been revealed what we will be." So you have what we are now and what yeah. we will be not yeah. yet. That's an eschatological Now, statement. not yeah. yet. I mean, yeah. there's the famous already, not yet. This yes. isn't already. Yeah. That's a different verb. <laughs> That's a different uh, adverb. But now, not yet, yeah. you know, is so clear here. And that, that, I think, gives the space to understand how John can talk so boldly about the sinlessness yes. of the Christian, yes. while at the same time talking so boldly against the arrogance of claiming sinlessness. Yes. How can both these be true? Well, I think it maps pretty naturally onto the the now and the already. Because, yeah, we're as you put it, yeah, we're children. We're children of God, yeah. but still children. Same Not yet grown-up yeah. sons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we're on the way towards that, and those who have this hope in them purify themselves, right? So, so we're always moving from the now towards the not yet. So as you're speaking, I was thinking of one of the passages, oh, I mean, couple of passages. One is in Ephesians chapter 1, where I think it's in verse 4, where Paul says, for he chose us in him Mm -hmm. before the foundation of this world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be children of God. He goes on to say, he lavished on us 
He redeemed us. He forgave us. All of these powerful verbs that that tell us what our real narrative is. And I I think sin often has its roots sometimes in an unbelief. I don't believe that. I can't believe that. Or the fact that I have lost that. I have lost a sense of that in my life. Mm. I am not living out of that identity. So back to the knowing again. Now are we the children of God? Not in the future. You already are. That's right. That's right. So the second passage that comes to mind is in Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were marked with a seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is a pledge. That's a down payment of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. That's that you've already got the seed in you now that when full grown will become what you will be. That's why you don't sin. It's inconsistent with who you are. It's inconsistent with the seed that is in you. It's inconsistent with your entire trajectory. You're in the wrong family if you're sinning. You have the wrong father, which is why he says, verse 5 or 6, right? Yeah, and if and as he keeps saying at the beginning and comes back at the end, and if you do sin and you hide it there, and pretend there, it's not there, there, that all the more proves that you're not in the right fit. You know, yeah. you were talking about darkness. There, I'm thinking sometimes the problem is we are in the darkness. Yeah, and the other problem is when the darkness is in you, and and when the darkness is in you, then I think we lack a transparency. Yeah. We are slow to admit it. We're defensive. We triangulate whenever we're under the gaze of God. You know, there's there's something more systemic wrong with that. This running to hide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You almost kind of. I mean, it's speculative, but you almost wonder if Adam and Eve, you know, would have just said, "Oh, we screwed up. I'm sorry." Right. Right, brought it into the light. That's right. But then they run and hide, and that just That's makes it right. worse. Yeah. Yeah. I w- yeah. I was thinking when Jesus talking to the Jews in John chapter eight, he said, "You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Mm-hmm. They said, "We've never been slaves to anyone." <laughs> there they go. Yeah. There it is, right there. Yeah. It's this immediate defensiveness, when really a better response would have been, slaves? Are we slaves? Wherein are we sl- How yeah. are we slaves? Now we've at least made ourselves vulnerable to a dialogue with the Holy Spirit. Look, if he's wrong, he's wrong. I doubt it, but, yeah. but at least lay ourselves bare. Yeah, as he puts it in that chapter, the, you know, you do not know him, my father... Because you do not make room for That's right. my word in your hearts, right? That's that, it. and oh, it's not even just yes. And which and making room in the heart is is before even believing. It's just opening up and giving it a hearing. It's a, hus- <laughs> it's a hospitality. Yeah, it's the verb for oh, hospitality. A, yeah, is it? It's right there. Yeah, right there. Is in it chapter really? Eight. Yeah. Oh, that's great. To make room in your hearts, um, it would be the term the word that you would God. use for someone. Yeah, if, if they were. If they were staying at your house, it's like parallel to Colossians, on. yeah, parallel to Colossians three, the 
let the word of God dwell in you richly. You know, that you yes, can, it's similar, yes. but it's similar uh, verbiage there. That, of that, let the word of God house. make its home yeah, in exactly. your heart. Yeah, Settle yeah, yeah. down these in are, your heart. These are terms of hospitality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's that take a quick break and come back and explore yeah, this some more. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Pastor Steve Deneff, my pastor, my friend, my colleague. Great to have you back on the show. We're looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Just to get it back, bring us back to the text, I'll read it again. I'm going to use a translation. This is from Raymond Brown's commentary on the uh. epistle, so his translation He starts the section, I think, correctly at verse 28 of chapter 2. So I'm going to introduce those Hmm. verses just to get us a little context to add. So, and now, little children, do abide in Christ so that when he is revealed, (laughs) we may have confidence and not draw back in shame from him Hmm. at his coming. Once you realize that he is just... You know this as well. Everyone who acts justly has been begotten by Mm. God. There it is. Exactly. There's your language. Look at what love the Father has bestowed upon us in enabling us to be called God's children. And that is what we really are. The reason that the world does not recognize us is that it never recognized him. Yes, beloved, we are God's children right now. And what we shall be has not yet been revealed. But we know that at this revelation, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope based on him makes himself pure, even as Christ is pure. Everyone who acts sinfully is really doing iniquity, for sin is the iniquity And you know well that Christ was revealed to take away sins, and there is nothing sinful in him. Everyone who abides in him does not commit sin. Everyone who does commit sin has never seen him, nor come to know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The person who acts justly is truly just, even as Christ is just. And then I'll add a little more. The person who acts sinfully belongs to the devil. Because from the beginning, the devil is the one who sins. Mm -hmm. The reason the Son of God was revealed, there's that word again, was to destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who has been begotten by God does not act sinfully because God's seed, there is, abides in him. And so he cannot be a sinner because he has been begotten by God. That is how God's children and the devil's children are revealed. Everyone who does not act justly does not belong to God, nor does anyone who does not love his brother. So that was a little bit more context all the oh, way down yeah. to verse 10. But boy, just to, the, boy, the language is there, isn't it? What? Which language? The, the language seed? The I know. Seed, the language <laughs> it, of the revelation. When you were knowing. saying that, I was like, this is more radical than, than the, our passage even reveals because yeah. it gets it, it that seed talk. Completely. Yeah. Well, yes. And there's good case that the seed language... You know, there's a lot of debate about what that's referring right, that's to, right. but probably yeah. the two biggest candidates would be the Word that's right. uh, or the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, right. would be kind of your right. two big candidates. And 
either way it plays out. I mean, you mentioned Paul's language when he talks about the Spirit in Ephesians and a few other places as the like the down payment, right, or first fruits, these kinds of language. And then here, the seed would fit that. It's this notion of something that's there but still emerging. I right? think first fruits, down payment, seed, all of these imply there's still it's it's hidden and subtle and it's still the fullness is still to come right it's i think of seed uh maybe wrongly i i used to think of it primarily in the language of planting a seed from Hmm. which you would get a sprout later the entire shoot and then the fruit that that would also work but i have come to think of the seed as the insemination yeah. of the life of God into another person, uh, much like the Spirit coming upon the Virgin Mary and what is conceived in you yeah. is of the Holy Spirit. There is something in you that belongs to you, but it is not you. And yet it is being formed in you. Yeah. So it is you, but it's not you. It's another Spot life on. coming. Yeah. It's another life coming up within you. And, and Paul will say in uh, Galatians chapter four that we would be fully formed. Yeah. In Christ. Yeah. It's, after referring to himself as being in labor. In, in, <laughs> so it's yes, the same. That's exactly right. In, no, that, I think you're right. Well, of course, the seed language. I mean, it, because we we refer to you know human male seed as sperm. Yes. And we we talk about planting as seed. We tend to not use the same term. It's all it's all the same word in Greek. It'd be all the same word in Hebrew. It's it's sperm. I mean, it's literally yes. the Greek word yes. sperma. Yeah, that's the word here. The spermatheus. Oh, oh, yeah, the sperm of God. Now, I mean, I don't want to overdo the that becomes so, I, that's so visceral for some. But I, there's some but benefit actually in bringing I the shock in. Is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think if we can detach, we've ourselves. already called God a father. We're already it's actually already <laughs> offensive right. when you think about it. Yes, a philosophical yes. notion of God does not actually admit of fatherhood. Admit no. The moment you have father language there, you've actually already implied mm. that you've brought on this more bizarre kind of imagery. Is this where Bart? Yeah. You're you're the expert in Bart. Is this where Bart said we are? Either speaking blasphemies <laughs> or singing the song of the redeemed. <laughs> yeah, that's. It's, I mean, yeah, you there, can tell he shapes me even when I'm not thinking of him. The yeah. second you, the yeah. second you say those words, that that God would condescend to. Well, I mean, the well, there's a reason why why Jesus and his early followers were persecuted and put to death. What for? Blasphemy. Yeah. Right. Blasphemy yeah. was the charge. Yeah. Yeah. Taken against well, Christ. and that's what they write in John five. He says he calls himself the Son of God, making himself, himself equal. equal with God. And so they decided to kill him. It's explicitly linked. But see, there, in, in there, that verse, if you want, is the the same kind of theosis. If you wanted to go mm-hmm. that far, he calls himself the Son of God. Therefore, putting himself in the species yep. of God. Yep. And and you look at Christ and say, yes, that is exactly what he is doing. Yep. And he's saying his status is also ours. In and through him. There it is. Not on our own terms. That's right. But yes. nevertheless. Thank you. Thank you. By adoption. That. Thank you. Yes. Not by an eternal generation. So, yes. I mean, we can introduce those distinctions, yes. but the distinctions aren't the point. They're they're the boundaries before making the, 
That's right. Around the point. That's right. That's and the point yes. is, we too are children. And we that's share. What we, I think that's what we have a hard time living up with. Uh, so, one of the passages that just resonates in my mind is Paul in uh, Colossians chapter 3. He says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Therefore, I mean, we are already there. Mm-hmm. Therefore, set your mind on things above, not on things below. For you died. Yes, past tense. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Then he goes on to say, and someday when Christ, who is Is. your life, Mm -hmm. shall appear, you also shall appear with him in glory. It's that same kind of a now but not yet Mm -hmm. language that we're talking about here. This is what's already true of you. You're already right now seated in the heavenlies. Yeah, well, that's kind of odd because it feels to me like we're sort of in your office. Well, yes, but if heaven's not up but over, then you're already in the heavenlies right now and you are not yet revealed. Mm -hmm. That day is coming. And when you are revealed, it will occur to you and everyone else on that day that Jesus Christ is your life. You never had a life apart from Jesus Christ. It was never his life and yours. It was always yours in his. Yeah. And his in yours. So why not believe that and live accordingly now? Yeah. Is, is the gist of the argument, there it is. right? There it is. Which, yes. of course, that passage in Colossians is immediately followed by some real practical ethical instructions. The next very next verse is, therefore... Sin we, not. Yeah, right. right? Yeah, it's the same... It's all about get rid flow. of all of these things. Yeah. And fun fact, same verb in Colossians there. When appeared, it's appeared or revealed. Same word. Same, you know, phanero. Same word. And it's linked to being made visible, you know, shining forth, you know. Uh, So it links to this verb of seeing, right? The world did not know him. The world did not see him. But we see, and we know it's the opening verb in today's passage, right? See how great the love, you know. I mean, it's seeing as a metaphor for knowing, but he wants to say see. Look, behold it. There's a beholding here. Picture's worth a thousand words, right? I can can say, you are God's child. I got to say it a thousand times. Yeah, yeah. For it to be roughly equivalent to the picture of you know, a loving parent with their arms outstretched welcoming. That's so much more powerful is the image, the, right? Uh, that passage in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3. I mean, yeah. It, I'm sorry. Colossians, Colossians chapter yeah. 3. Yeah. In Colossians 3. was We uh, could have the editor cut that out. It makes us sound smarter when we... <laughs> <laughs> or we can leave it in to, like, you know, perform humility. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're the editor. Do no, I'm not. Oh, no, no, you're not. Do it. No, Todd oh, doesn't. Okay. All right. Wow. Let's pay the editor. Oh my! I say leave it in. Okay. <laughs> Pastors, they're just like us. That's right. They screw everything up too. In Colossians three, that yeah. that that the phrase at the beginning of of that chapter, when my mother was dying, huh? Uh, and it was just my wife, myself, and my with her in the in the room. Uh, and my wife, Lori, said, honey, why don't you cite scripture to her? Because hmm. when I was a kid, she'd always come into my bedroom and she would sit on the bed and she would say, uh, what have you read today? And I would, try to, I would try to recite a memory verse, you know. And then she would cite verses and she would say, do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? Hmm. 
So uh, as I sat on the end of her bed at the end of her life, wow. and I started to recite scripture, um, I, ca- I came to this one where it says, um, uh, where it says, we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And one day, when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, you also will appear with Him in glory. And then I said, Ma, do you know what that means? It means you are moments away from seeing what you always were. And you didn't know it. Hmm. You couldn't see it. But it was always true. That that has very pastoral yeah. uh, meaning for me because of that. It, it, I think on that day, and it was only within an hour or two she slipped away, I think it was on that day when she literally stepped into uh, a vision of, of what John has in mind. Mm-hmm. Now are we the children of God. Oh, I wish you could see now what I see is what he's saying. Oh, I see this about you, but you can't see it. And so what what we want, I think, when we're preaching this word hmm. is for the preacher to take that veil away. Yeah. And we don't have to beat the sin out of them. They'll let it go. They'll drop it. Once they know who they are in Christ, it is for want of knowing that we get into a million other things. Yeah. God help us. Yeah, it sounds like I'm hearing you say that in some ways, the pastoral vocation, to some extent, consists in learning to really see that's all who our flock is yeah. for in ourselves and in them, and to speak out of that, right? To speak yeah. out of that that way instead of, like you say, beating them into the thing that we uh, that we're not satisfied that they are yet. I've talked to I yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of one person I was talking to some time ago came up in a pretty abusive home. Her mother was abused by her father. Her father was this domineering kind of literally, I'm not making this up. He would come home and he would sit in the chair and make her force her to do everything from take off his boots to go get his water. Mm-hmm. And she did it. And and this this child grew up watching that image of a father. And she became ingrown and distorted as a person. Uh, And I remember standing with her one day and trying to get her to see the truth of Paul's revelation that you are chosen in Christ. You are the child of God. You belong to him. And and she was looking at at the floor. Hmm. I had to to stop and say, look at me. Yeah, you look right here person. between my between my eyes, and I'm going to say it again, and then I want you to say it. And and I had to pull it out of her. Now am I the child of God? It does not yet appear what I will be, but it was almost as she said it, she was becoming it. Yeah, I mean, only momentarily. Yeah, and then as soon as. She let it go. She's back to her old right, self again. Right, so right. the the soaking in this and the marinating in it, it wouldn't be. And I think you're onto something about, and I think this would be a good transition to our third segment, how important it is for us to learn to even say it about ourselves. We need to hear someone else say it to us, but then 
we need to speak it. These words, we have to grow accustomed to them, and it takes time, yeah. you know, yeah. to really realize it. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Steve Deneff, and we're looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, as part of a little series here on 1 John, which is a very fitting Easter text. You know, there's kind of Easter energy in all of Johannine writings, even when he's not talking about it directly. Mm. But yeah, uh, let's read it one more time just to kind of get the text in front of us. You said you used the NLT a bit. Can we hear it in that? That's yeah, a good, that's let, good, good preaching me, and devotional let text. Let me find it a minute. I wasn't ready for that. Oh, I'm that's, sorry. I sprung oh, it on fine. you. Nope. I've got it right here. See how very much our Heavenly Father loves us, for He allows us to be called His children. And we really are. But the people who belong to this world don't know God, so they don't understand that we are His children. Yes, dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what we (laughs) will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when He comes, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. And all who believe this will keep themselves pure, just as Christ Himself is pure. Those who oppose sin are opposed to the law of God, for all sin opposes the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, for there's no sin in Him. So if we continue to live in Him, we won't sin either. But those who keep on sinning have never known him or understood who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it is because they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy these works of the devil— Those who have been born into God's family do not sin because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they've been born of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not obey God's commands and does not love other Christians does not belong to God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the word of the Lord. Mm, thanks be to God. Now, I don't want to camp on translation too long, but classic NLT, it's re- it's always really good. Like it really captures the gist. Yeah, the language know? is good, isn't but it? But then you you sometimes lose some motifs. Yeah. So the revealed yeah. was just lost. Yeah. Because he kept using different different verbs every time the word phanero appeared. Yeah, but it, but that's why it's great to use multiple translations, man. Yeah, so you hear different things. Yeah. I, was, I thought that was really good. Yeah, I think there's a. I, I read it because of the freshness effect. Yeah, what, you, what you're it's unfamiliar what you're doesn't sound like standard religious chit chat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think what I lose in it is the nuance. Yeah, yeah. If, if like the, the repeated use of revealed is really yes. good, where it's like, oh, he's going to be revealed. 
Yeah. What we are hasn't yet been revealed. Yeah. There's kind of these double, yeah. Yeah. here's yeah. how the children yeah. of the devil are revealed. Yeah. That's revealed again there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. nuance, like you say. But in terms of the, I think, I think it really captured the message. The yeah. message comes through yeah. sometimes louder, yeah. especially with John who talks in weird yeah. Weird ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so I mean, if we're speaking about how to preach this. Yeah, exactly. I would start with something like that. I yeah. generally when I uh, start I don't use commentaries till later on in the process. I think if you use them too yes, soon, it, it becomes too wooden, you borrow somebody else's ideas, don't have your own. But when I use them, I tend to start with uh, or read first the ones that are more general in nature. So they have kind of an an NLT approach. Okay. They get the theme right. But they don't go into any of the nuances. So I would say, uh, in preparation for this, maybe you start by reading the NLT to just get the big idea. Yeah. What is the gist of yes. what he is saying? But then go to something else because of the nuances, the the familiarity or the multiple use of languages, the pauses uh, or yeah. the way he includes things in the middle of sentences and things. That's why I go to the NRSV probably more often than any other translation right now, anyway, uh, is because it, it. I just like the way that reads, and it does capture a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that you're that you're describing. So in the sermon process, start with the more generic stuff, both in in translations and in commentaries. Then formulate your own questions. Good commentaries answer your questions. Bad ones don't. Yeah, yeah. So there aren't really any good or bad commentaries. Right. So you need just to come with bad questions, for you. Though. That's right. So, so start with if questions. You don't have questions, then the commentaries are just going to. Right. It's just dry. They're dry just bones. talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, by scanning different commentaries, find out who writes the way you ask. <laughs> nice. And when you find a writer like that, stick with that. Yeah, and 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 then work from the more generic down to the more specific, down to the actual words, if you want to. Sometimes the themes alone will work. Then once you do the nitty gritty stuff, kick it back up to the more generic because yeah. that's the part you've got to apply. You're not trying to apply the meaning of a word. You're trying yeah. to apply the meaning of the whole text. So you have to start broad, come narrow, and then go back up to broad and say, what is this word for the people today? Yeah, no, that's that's really good prep advice to always have those motions. And sometimes there's a back and forth, right? Because you kind of uh, you yeah. get back to the big idea, and then you kind of sometimes you can realize I've had it happen where like you know the best way for me to communicate this idea is often by drawing attention to just one little word. Sometimes, you know, sometimes, oh yeah, not that the whole yeah the whole message can't be built on a word mountain yeah. out of a molehill. But one little word can it captures can it. capture it. There you yeah, go. That's no the doubt. phrase. I almost did last week. Uh, uh, so you could do seed here, or you could no do yes. or or you could do now, not yet, or trace the revealeds. You know, there 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 could be some words here that you could take as a jumping off point. Yeah. But that needs to not be. Usually, that needs to be motivated by a, a sense of the main message, not a, just. A, it's interesting. Exegetically interesting. Right. Yeah. You <laughs> Just because it's interesting to me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Although bring that energy. If it's interesting to you, it's going to affect the... Yeah. You can yeah. take people little on the journey. Well, you don't know what that word is yeah. until you know what the gist of yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you know that this passage is largely about understand... No, comprehending... Nice, yeah. ...who yeah. we are, and then living out of that reality... 
toward what we will become. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That we are in that's between. The shape. Yeah. That's the shape. That's the shape of the sermon. This has eschatological potential. No yeah. doubt about that. But so once you know that, then you can say, what's maybe what's the best way to capture that? Then you can go, wait, man. Maybe seed is the best word here because that acts as a metaphor. Yeah. This has been implanted in me, so that's what I am. I am a child of God in the species of the people God, in God's children. That's who I was born that way now. That's in me. It's not just something I decided to accept. Right. It's right. a miracle, like the virgin birth, yep. implanted in me by the Holy Spirit, a life that is my life but not my life. That is pulling me forward into the life I shall become. Once you know that, then you're like, whoa, I, then I can use seed. That's nice in the Easter season, too, because you can kind of say, so what is this time between Christ's first second coming, his resurrection, and his final second coming? It's kind of like the nine months of <laughs> pregnancy, right? I mean, like, I don't want to be too silly, but I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. in a sense, we're just in an in-between time. It doesn't matter how long it is. The, yeah. the length of it is a sort of secondary matter. We're talking about the character of this time. Because the claims of the New Testament are not, hey, an interesting thing kind of got started on Easter, and now you guys will work and really make it awesome with your Christianity and your buildings. It's like, no, the way the New Testament talks is the entire world turned a massive corner, and the main battle has been won, though the war rages, on Good Friday and Easter, right? It's that's like, right. that's the turning point. So the fact that time continues is it's it's only intermediate. This there's something there's an intermediate character to this life that we're in right yeah. now. Easter's the Normandy invasion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. It's, yes. it's where the backbone of, if you will, the evil empire. <laughs> yeah. And that broken. and that metaphor is slightly more attractive to perhaps the 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 male audiences of our Sure. Yeah. <laughs> male yeah. members of our audiences. Sure. Perhaps the pregnancy language might that be, might, that might be that a nice counterweight might. to all the sports analogies <laughs> that my local pastor, I don't know who he is, is always using. <laughs> Next to the word of God, sports is life. I mean, all the best analogies. Uh, but like, how do you, I mean, you know. Can I go we, back and go just, ahead, go just ahead. one, okay, I mean, you're the theologian again. And I certainly want to defer to you on this, but. Please don't. Yes, sir. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It's about it's how heresies begin, <laughs> yeah, isn't yeah. it? Uh, uh, what what you're saying to uh, the w- what is this period after the resurrection? I would say yes, it is the multiplication of this. But I'm thinking this period after the resurrection of Christ is the period where the church itself is founded and formed. Yeah, sure. Those, yeah. The resurrection, the, the seed ascension, is planted. Mm-hmm. and the Pentecost, yep. those three days all coalesce around the formation of a new form of Christ, the body of Christ, yeah, nice. which is the believer, released into the world. So yes, it is. It's the retelling of the story. It's the sense of the virgin birth, which once produced an individual, is now relived yep. corporately and it produces a body. Jesus says it straight up in John 12, unless a seed, sperma, yeah. falls to the and ground dies yeah, in remains the ground. but a seed. Yeah. But if it dies. It abides alone. Yeah. <laughs> remains alone. Same verb. Oh, good. But alone. Good. Uh, good. Right. But then when it does, then it bears fruit. So in yeah. this, so. Hundredfold. 
that, I, I, the only word of caution to the preacher would be that when you are preaching this passage, you're not preaching it to a limitless, undefined sea right. of Christians. You're preaching it to a local body of believers yeah. in front of you that have faces and families and real fears and dreams. And you're preaching to them as one, mm-hmm. as an entity, one body being formed. Your children, plural. Your, yeah. Yes. This is your family. Now speak in family language to them. What do you want them? What are they already that they don't know? And what are they capable of becoming? But they don't yet see it. You see it. You're the preacher. Call it out of them. Yeah, and perhaps step one in the prep, I mean, we can talk about sermon form and things like that, but it seems to me that, if not step one, but at least a a central experience into preparing to preach on this would surely be actually seeing it. Right? Like, re- because yeah. we're we're taking it for granted. Of course, this is how we see our people. But let's be honest, we don't always, right? We sometimes oh. we lose sight of this for ourselves and for our people. Yeah. And so to really, to really catch that, and really begin to see it, and to begin even by the week by asking Lord, open my eyes that I may see, mm. right, the wonder of your people that they really already are your children uh, that you really have given this to them and to me and to us this really is who we are help me to see that because I forget it too sometimes oh, you know yes and and give me a patience that they don't yet see what we will be because I don't either we can't know it until it's there yeah. and and then out of that sort of sense of wonder I think a a winsome kind of preaching can come versus a, you know, an overly burdened kind of preaching. Like, come on, you dummies, why don't you see who you really are? Which is easy to get stuck into when we're really just talking to ourselves. I'm yeah, saying, why well, I'm such yeah, a dummy, I don't I get it. But we make it say, you. Yeah. What's wrong with you? You guys Boy, don't see it. That's so true. I wonder how much <laughs> self criticism is projected really on the audience. I'm so frustrated <laughs> with you because of me. Yeah. You know? Why? Well, Every now and then, maybe three, four times a year, I meet with a, gump, uh, with a group of guys here from the church that deal with social sciences. Okay. Uh, man, someday you ought to just sit and listen to them. Some of the best spiritual formation stuff that takes place in uh. them, they are all lovers of Christ and all conversant in Scripture, and yet social science. They get how people develop and change. And yeah, stuff and they and- have found a way to... Ma- One of the things that they've taught me in that process is... That the best way to to form somebody spiritually is not to tell them what they've done wrong. It's to tell them where they got it right and okay. to replicate that. Okay. So if you're trying to coach someone in doing something, say, yeah, it was just like last week when you did this. There. See that? You keep did it that. right there. Just keep doing that. Just do that again. A hundred different ways. And you've got it. Now you've given them both. Now, in the example. abstract, that's, quote, laying down the law, but that's not how you feel it. Right, Girl, that's and good. so lawlessness yeah. is deviating from the things that have been affirmed as the right way to go. Yeah. Which actually interesting. This mm. passage, what does he say? He doesn't say, "I know that you are children of God," or "You should know." He just says, "We know that we yeah. are children of yeah. God." Yeah. He he yeah. gives them credit for yeah. knowing that, even if they might 
Yeah. I mean, because you can imagine there might be some questions and debate about, and there might, there seems to be some kind of church split and some of the people who left probably say, well, we're the children of God. You guys aren't because, you know, we have this special knowledge or whatever. So, so this kind of, in many ways, he's doing that. His starting point in this passage, even though he's going to be pretty strict about avoiding sin, the starting point is, well, we, of course, children, we know (laughs) that we're children of God. We, we know this. Now, what does it mean? Yeah. Right. So making some appeal to, you know, remembering that. And I think that be a place for that in I mean I love I know I know just just side note not to toot your horn but I mean in your preaching when you just tell like us like when you do a story about somebody in our congregation they got it right you know that's just great like that just really like it just becomes a template it's so it? motivating for me because mm-hmm. it gives me permission to know they're different than me it's not going to look exactly like that so no. I know you're not telling me it has to be exactly like that um, but it gives hope. It's like, oh, wow, people's lives are being changed. Cool. <laughs> now I can see it, you know. Two things come out of this, too. and that one, would, one would have to push the text and, uh, uh, further than verse 7 in order to get it. But if... Who if, cares? Go ahead. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. If, if our point is that now are we the children of God, that what we will become has already been inseminated in us and it is growing... It is us. It is not completely us. It is him as well. And in that union of him and us, a new life is being formed. And when it is fully formed, then we shall be like him. If that's the overarching message of this passage, which is what I'm hearing us say, then one could uh, ask the question, what does that new life do? What is it like? And try to describe that. If one pushes this passage beyond verse 7, two things become clear. One is that it is the avoidance of sin, because Mm -hmm. that is not within the nature of who I am. It's not the life that was put in me, and it's not the life I shall become. That does not belong to our species. This is why we don't do it, because we're children of God, not children of the devil. Yeah. The second theme at the very end of that is that we love our brothers. That's right. Yeah. So those are two things practical that I think homiletically the preacher can design a message. First to say we do not know who we are and much of our growth and development as Christians comes from a knowledge, a comprehension, not just an intellectual knowing uh, of who we are. Once we know who we are and we know what we're becoming, then we understand that what we shall be is already in us. And therefore, we avoid sin, mm-hmm. A, and we love one another, which is B. Yep. Because yep. That's, the, that's the way this family lives. And when you're thinking about the response you know, towards the end of a sermon, I like often working backwards from that. You could think about, you know, just be an honest confessional moment to say, okay, what's a particular sin that I do feel called to, you know, lean a little more away from than I, maybe I've given it a foothold and then positively, okay, who's, uh, like, look, just literally look around right now and everybody do it. And, you know, just ask yourself, is there somebody in this room you could love a little more and, and, and act on that? Right. What would, what would it look like to love someone in this room 
uh, you know, by the end of the week. <laughs> What's something you can do yeah. to reach out to them? And that's two yeah. really simple, practical things that's clearly st- – and then reminding, that, that ain't going to make you a child of God. Yeah. You already are. Yeah. But yeah. might help you start to see it, to see it in your own life because it's already true and the fullness and truth of that is yet to be revealed. Wouldn't you like to see a little of it now? Yeah. You know? When we designed Soul Shift some years ago, we started to work on specific changes we were looking for. Then out of that, we stumbled upon really four questions that we use that can be used generically to any message you preach, this one or any <laughs> other message. They are, first, what do you hear God saying to you? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's do this or stop that. Second, what is it that keeps you from doing that? Okay, yeah. There you're naming an obstacle, sometimes a person or a habit within yourself. Third, if you were to do that, what might be a good first step? Yeah, that's now, really good. you're yeah. getting real practical. Well, I would have to make that phone call, write that person a letter, I'd right. have to let this thing to go sell something, whatever. And then the fourth question is who you're going to tell. Right. I do remember that. Because yeah. now that opens your life Bring it into to the light. accountability. And yes. the, that's the light. Yes. Right? Now I'm letting other people see this this commitment I'm making, and they're going to hold me accountable. So you don't get these individualized private private lives. Mm-hmm. You know? So what is God? Let's do those again so I make sure I heard them right. What do you hear God, what saying, you hear God to you? saying to you today? What is it that keeps you from doing that? Mm-hmm. If you were to do that, what might be a good first step? And, and who you who you're going to tell? tell. Yeah, that's great. Well, hey, that's fantastic. I think it's a good place to stop. I great, mean, just great. Read the passage and ask those questions. It actually, itself be a pretty good sermon. Everything in between is just <laughs> just somebody talking. <laughs> it's like it is every Sunday at our church. Like, what the heck? I don't, that? That. I don't know, but. Boy, that ending. <laughs> hey, this was fun. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks so much, Steve, for your time. I'll just say fun. it now. Thanks to all our listeners, too, for chiming in and for getting the word out about the show. Thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing it without them. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks especially to our patron saints who support the show. I have a day job. I don't see a cent of that. That goes to the production team behind the scenes. Good. And, uh, yeah, with that, we say have a good preach and a great week. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.